Today's episode is a part of Minority Money Podcast, We Need to Talk series. This series gives your host an opportunity to pivot away from some of our usual topics to talk about more current events. The We Need to Talk series will give us an opportunity to discuss issues with other experts and talk about solutions to these issues. I hope you enjoy this installment of the new series. As always, please let us know what you think of this new segment of the show by either writing a review on Apple Podcasts or sending us an email. I present to you the We Need to Talk series. Welcome back to the Minority Money Podcast. I am your host, Imlyn Miles Mattingly, where we are changing the complexion of wealth. Today, we are having a special episode for you. We are going to have the first episode in our We Need to Talk series. And today, I couldn't be more excited to have these three gentlemen joining me on the show today. And so what we're going to be doing with the We Need to Talk series is we are going to talk about issues that are going on in our communities or whether or not they're global issues or just issues that need to be spoken about. So we wanted to be able to have this opportunity to talk about what's going on in America right now. And today I'm joined by three of my good friends, my brothers in arms, and soldiers on the front lines with me. We got Desarte Yarnway, Samuel Dean, and Tyrone Ross Jr. So gentlemen, welcome back to the show. For Tyrone and Desarte, Sam, thanks for joining us for the first time. Won't be the last time. We got a lot to talk about, man, and there's a lot of stuff going on, and I don't want to take away from what we're trying to do. So, gentlemen, let's jump right in, man. You know, we've seen what happened to George Floyd, and this has sparked a lot of different events going on here in the country right now. We're just going to talk about it. With that, I'm going to hand it off to Desarte and ask you, what are your thoughts on that and just give us your thoughts on the whole thing that's going on. Well, first and foremost, I think I can kind of speak for all of us here. Thank you so much for using your platform to facilitate such a conversation between three young financial advisors, three black men in the United States of America. I think that's something that we need to highlight. So thank you first, Emma, for doing that. In terms of how I feel, I feel like I don't belong here in this country on this soil. For me, it actually was no surprise, right? When it happened, it was like, man, again, this is happening again. It's the most recent event in a 400 year cycle that is the cycle to exterminate black people out of this country. So I feel like I don't belong. I feel like when it happened, all of the experiences that I've had with the law started to play back in my mind. And it just registered to me that any one of these instances could have been me. And that's a scary thing to feel when you go outside, right? So for me, it just feels like another again for our community, another again for a black man or a black woman. And it's definitely something that needs to stop. Furthermore, I just feel like I have friends that are African-American proper and their closest, like their history starts for them in the South, right? In the deep South, in slavery. Part of me feels like I'm blessed because I know where my dad's village is, right? So I'm like, man, I just want to move back there because it's more peaceful. And, you know, while it comes with its own struggles, at least I know I can go back there, you know? So I'm talking to some of my friends. It's like, I understand this from the tone of my skin, from the melanin, right? We share this in America because they don't see African. They don't see Liberian. They see a black man. But in the same sense, I have this connection to Africa that's like, man, if any, we talked about this. And then I was like, I want to move back. I want to split time there because this is unsafe. So I think that I just have a bunch of mixed emotions, but overwhelmingly, 
this is the most recent cycle in the 400-year plan of extermination, and it definitely needs to stop. To think that as Black men, where we were just as instrumental in everything, every fiber of the creation of this country, to feel like this place cannot be our home speaks volumes to what's going on at this current time. It speaks volumes. And brothers, feel free to jump in. Whoever wants to get in next on that, go ahead. Obviously, you know, at least for me, I was extremely upset when it happened. I'm not going to say I didn't know how to feel, but like Desarte mentioned, you know, for me, it was like, again, what else do we have to do? What else can we even do? At least for me, you know, being a business owner, my idea around it was, all right, well, I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. I'm going to try my best to put my money behind certain causes, not support certain organizations that isn't taking a stand and advocating for me. And originally that was sort of my way of activism. Two days ago, I saw a video of a peaceful protest in Merrick, which is two towns away from me out in Long Island. And, you know, they're walking down the block and they're protesting saying Black Lives Matter. And there's a group of people behind the police. Like, so the cops are separating the protesters from, I guess, the people that live in the neighborhood. And then you're, you know, you're walking down the block and all you hate, like vividly people looking at you in your eyes saying, F you go back to your country. And like talking to the cops saying, don't let them come down here. We don't want them down this block. This is in my backyard. You know, I went to high school out here. I've been living here for almost 15 years now. So seeing that, it just infuriated me because I sort of feel like from growing up out here, I almost feel as though like this type of overt racism, I didn't see that growing up out here, you know? And now I'm starting to feel, well, man, was I turning a blind eye to this this whole time? Was it this apparent this whole time? I felt really guilty because I'm thinking to myself like, man, all these years, have I been satisfied and comfortable with the little bit of freedom they gave me? instead of going out there and taking the stand and going out for everything that I want. So I had a whole bunch of mixed emotions. After seeing that video, I went out and protested with a few of my friends yesterday. You know, we were out there for hours. And I will say that for Long Island being, at least for me, the most segregated and racist neighborhood that I've been a part of, I was very surprised to see as many you know white people that were out there and I think there were maybe, there were at least 3,000 people out there. And so that alone was surprising to me. So at least for me, I don't think all hope is lost, but specifically in Long Island was definitely an eye opener for me that, hey, maybe I need to be more involved in this particular community. Although, you know, there are not a lot of black people here. I'm sure that there's something that I can do. And sometimes I'm at a loss for words about all of this. So a question to you guys, what do you think as Black financial advisors that have their own firm, what do you think we can do to make this any better? So I'll be honest, man, sometimes I sort of feel helpless. You know what? Let me just stay on my mission, do what I have to do, get to a place where I feel comfortable and then, you know, give back to my community and not necessarily depend on the government or depend on corporations, just do what's in my control. But a lot of times I feel like that's just not enough. And before we even get to that question, I wanted to have Tyrone say his piece about what he felt when we got the news and we seen what happened. You know, this on the back of Ahmad Aberry and this. To be honest, I still haven't watched it. Can't. I can't. I saw just when they were walking him around the car. I've heard things that were said. Can't do it, bro. I'm tired. I'm tired of seeing us die in the street like that. I'm just not going to do it anymore. I'm not going to participate. Even with the, you know, rest in peace, David Dorn as well, that cop who literally died. They record that man dying, taking his last breath. All nine, 10 minutes of it that it was. 
And I'm like, it's just so comfortable for this country to watch black men suffer. And I'm not participating in it anymore. So to be honest with you, I've been too busy. First of all, doing what I've been doing the last 18 years. But I have mentees that are in gangs that are angry, that want to take to the streets. I have a responsibility to use the platform that I have. I have two young nephews. I have a mother. I have a sister. I have a niece. I have so many people that rely on me for things right now. So I've just been pushing, trying to do what I need to. Like Samuel said, I got to put in the work, but I haven't even really been able to process my feelings, man. But I'm just sick and tired and I'm just not going to watch it no more. And we'll probably get into this later. But even personally, from the corporate business alignings that I have coming out of this, they will change. They will change because if I don't do it, then I'm not setting a good example. So. Absolutely. I agree with you, Tyrone. I haven't sat there and watched the full eight minutes of the video. I watched a couple minutes of it and my wife had brought it up to me. I couldn't stomach it. And then as facts start to unwind, like you find out that his mom passed away two years ago and his brother's sitting there being murdered, crying for his mom. For his mother. On the same day, two years later, they take this man's life on TV, recorded. One part of me is, you know, here we go again, because it's happened before. Multiple times, it's always happened. It's kind of like sewn into the fabric of who you are coming up as a young black man, as a black man in general. Every black man has had the talk, just different things like the how to conduct yourself in front of police. And the place that we live in, we have to conduct ourselves in a certain way so that we can stay alive and so that we don't have to be under the threat for our lives from the people that are supposed to protect, keep law and order in our communities. Absolutely ridiculous. I'm going to try not to get on a rant, so I'm just going to let it go on because I get mad about this. Y'all have seen me do it before, so I'm not going to do that. But Sam, you had a question that you were asking all of us, and I think it's, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so there are plenty of times where I just feel like we chose to go out and start our own businesses for our community, build our own tables, and do the things that we want to do in the fashion that we want to. So I sort of feel that there are times that I have limitations in the things that I can do. And so my question to you all is, is there anything that we can do to stop this from happening that we haven't done already? You know, is there a solution to this problem that we can do as black financial advisors? What are some ideas that you guys have that we can maybe change the narrative? And I'm not talking necessarily in our specific industry. I mean, like in general, like what can we do? What do you guys think? I'm deferring to the Sartre Tyrone first. I have very strong opinions on that. The first is... We all know we are. So we all know very powerful, strong, successful black men. It starts with us. So we have to create allegiances and alliances. And I've been saying this forever. We have to go get our own. We need a large presence in our communities. Again, buy back the block. But yeah, we need to buy the block. We need to buy the politicians too. Everybody else do it, right? We need to make sure that we get more lawyers, doctors, all of these things. But it all starts in our communities, undergirding our communities and having a presence there. A lot of us have a tendency. We get our success. And yes, you get pulled away from doing other things to take care of your own family, whatever. But I feel like that's the first thing is we just right now more than ever. And I said this on another conference that I did with the 100 Black Men of Atlanta. I called all the young Black men on there. I said, right now, more than ever, those of us that have been privileged to have degrees, to go to college, to got a network making good money. We got to lock arms right now, go get our own. So again, we could talk about financial education, economic empowerment. That's the first thing. Second thing is those of us that do have some type of platform, and again, that are aligned with the people in power, 
at some point, like Muhammad Ali said, my obligation to my people is more important than the millions or the sponsorships or whatever it is y'all think you want to give me. I'm black in America. I'm a Muslim in America. I have an obligation to the people. And to be honest, as I'm saying this right now, I'm looking in the mirror saying it to myself. I need to do that. And if I do it and people see it and they go, oh, okay, right? We have to do that. And I think the last piece is let's just keep it one trillion. Money. Money matters. We need money. We need access to capital. We need to move around our capital. We need to be strategic with our capital. We need to grow our capital. We need to grow, protect, and transfer that capital. And right now, more than ever, is a call to our community, to our people to do exactly that. Sure, buy Black. Sure, donate Black. Sure, advocate Black. But when this is all said and done, are we going in and lifting up our own, making those connections, starting endowments, right? Making sure that we align merging financial, as you said, you even said as financial advisors, there should be a large merger at some point of two black financial advisors merging together. And there was a gentleman who said it last night on this conference that I was on at the dearth of black men that are financial advisors and that are in financial services and the number of black women that are starting businesses. You know what I'm saying? So we have the resources. Now we just need to pull them together. Again, we know what y'all think about us now. We know. We know. Cool. Now we're going this way right now. Well, I agree with you. There's strength in numbers. And I think that more than ever, we need to mobilize. One thing that I stand by, and I wrote this in a recent blog, Onward to Greatness, is just the push-pull method. I think that within our industry, I have a responsibility to push those like you, Tyrone, like you, Emlyn, that are in front of me to be your absolute best, right? And in some ways, that means like to be your harshest critic. It's the same thing like, man, you could do this. You could do this. How can I help you? Right. Just to continue to push you to be your absolute best and forge that path ahead. And I think for people that are behind me, it's my obligation to pull them through the door that you may have opened for me or I may have opened. So I think that's a responsibility that I have. And whether that's, you know, inviting somebody on your podcast, letting a young black man intern with you over the summer, finding Black employees, man, woman, anything, right? That's a small start to begin to have representation of more people who can help us with this creation and accumulation of wealth. So I think that that's something I subscribe to and that's something that I pledge to do in the days forward. I think that that's exactly what we need to do with our resources. I will add an additional step that I think we need to do. We need to have political action. We have to be involved politically. Just give you a case in point. So Every year, they have an election for the DA. They have an election for your judge. They have an election for your county sheriff. When you're having those elections and someone of color, you get into it, you get something like this happen with any of the black men or women that have been killed by the police. And then you go to the DA of that county and the person that's going to be prosecuting them has been elected by the people that don't represent him. And we don't have a voice or a seat at the table there because we think that our vote doesn't matter. Well, in your county, your vote really matters because that vote can be, you know, you see some county races that might be 600 people that vote in that precinct, 1,200 people, and the vote is chosen by two to three votes. And I think that we have to align our values there with what we have in our community with the people that represent us. Now, this doesn't mean that everyone that's going to represent us is going to be a person of color. In some places, you're not going to have that. However, you can align yourself with people that are allies and they are not people of color, but they understand the plight of 
what's going on in a black man's life in America. And so those are things that I look to at this point in time to kind of piggyback on what you're saying, Tyrone. I'm looking at who's talking, who's out there saying stuff, and then who's hiding. Because that is where I want to spend my money. Like I'm looking at people that are donating to different things and where I want to align my stuff that I'm trying to do with people that want to call themselves allies. And I think that that is just as important as everything else. And I think that's the last piece because it's going to take some reform legally. Like they have to change the way that they police us. They have to make more consequences for people that are stepping out of pocket. You already know in our industry, we do something wrong. It's on your U4 and that's a wrap. You know what I mean? It's a wrap. Like it's not even, I mean, if you do something really bad, you're barred immediately. So why don't we have those type of things? Why don't we have some type of database where it talks about, you know, the behavior of a cop? Why aren't we doing more psychological analysis? Why aren't we doing more research and background into how this person was raised? The other day, I'm just going to say this and then I'll let either Tyrone or Sarte have a question. But the other day I'm sitting here talking to my wife and she was talking about when they were killing the young man, shooting the young brother that was running. They were yelling racial slurs at him. They were calling him a nigger. Like, we're just going to call it what it is. They're calling him a nigger on the video. The defense for those two people said that is normal language in the South. There was nothing wrong with them talking. like That's how people normally talk there. And that's okay. That was the defense. That's what the defense said from their defense was this is the way he normally talks. So he didn't mean anything. That's acceptable for people from the South to talk like that. I said, I almost lost my shit, bro. Like, I'm not, you know what I'm saying? Like, I got to take some time. You know what I mean? So what, Tyrone DeSarte, chime in anything that you guys got on that one. Yeah, I got a question for you because since these events happened, right, there's been a few heavy weeks. We've had people that would reach out to us directly, right? Being forward-facing figures in this FinTwit universe, right? And say, hey, I'm feeling for you. I hear you. I see you, right? All of the things that happen due to this circumstance. But I think that what's important is like, how do you use this word just now? And what's the definition of an ally? When somebody says, yes, I'm an ally on this cause, what does that mean? How can we hold quote-unquote allies responsible in times like this and in regular times, like when there's no turmoil going on, because I think that we've come into this place where anybody is an ally when it's easy, right? It's easy, easy to be an ally. Nothing has happened, right? The market's up, you know, you hired that one or two people to fill your quota, whatever the case, I'm an ally. But what does it actually mean from the mouth of a black man or woman? How would you define that? At least for me, in the simplest terms that I can say it is someone that will kind of have my back, whether I'm around or not, you know, someone that's willing to, especially if we're talking about financial services and business, someone who's willing to introduce me to certain people, vouch for me to be a speaker at certain events, position me in a way where I can get that awareness to then lead my community. You know what I mean? Something as simple as that, I think goes a long way. And I'm not asking you to do the work. I'm just simple introductions can go a long way. If you want to start small, that's something simple and small right there. And for me, that's enough. And, you know, I tell this to Tyrone all the time. Tyrone has been introducing me to people and connecting me with people since I met him. That's the type of allyship that I expect from anyone who wants to see me succeed in this industry. And I'm not saying this because it's all about me, but in terms of allyship, that's what I'd like to see. It's crazy you mentioned that because as we were having these conversations, I was talking to somebody and I was like, integrity is what you do when nobody is looking. So a lot of the times we get people that call themselves allies, but they're only allies when people are looking. And we need those people that are going to do the right thing when they're not looking. So for example, as you mentioned, 
when it's time to set up that roster for speakers, they're in that room saying, hey, Samuel Dean is an expert at equity compensation. He should be here speaking about that, right? Inland speaks directly to minority families, and it's important mm-hmm. for him exactly. to be talking yep. about this subject. You want to hear about crypto? You can't have a panel without Tyrone Ross Jr. type of thing, right? But that needs to come out of the mouth of, quite frankly, a white person. You know what I mean? And I don't want to talk about diversity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's just put that out there. Like, I don't want to talk about diversity in financial services. That conversation, there's nothing more that we can say. What else do we have to say? This conversation around diversity and financial services needs to happen amongst white people. There's nothing more we can say. That's a fact. So I agree with you 100%. Integrity is what you do when nobody's looking. And advocacy is initiating the conversations at the top because they might not hear our screams from the bottom. Mm-hmm. Point blank, period. In addition to that, what are they saying when someone in there in the room is making a racial joke? When someone's saying something like that, you got my back, you know, you my boy then, or you know what I mean? Like, I want to know about that. I want to know what you're saying when someone's in the room and they say something inappropriate, not only, you know, about black people, absolutely, but about any minority person of color where they're making jokes that are off color. I'm shutting that down immediately. The thing that I try to do whenever I'm talking about someone, and it doesn't matter who it is. But if I'm talking about someone, what I do is I like to talk about that person as if they're sitting there listening to what I'm saying. And if I'm an ally of someone, when someone starts talking about black people, this or code words, diversity and start talking about allyship and things we need to do and urban and, you know, the little buzzwords that we have to describe us without calling us black. And when those things are going on, what are you doing as an ally? What are you saying? Are you sitting there and saying, man, I can't believe that. Are you sitting there and saying, you know what, you need to watch your mouth. And I think about someone that did something and we just shot him out real quick. But Alex Jalecki, when all that stuff was going on with that situation, he came out and said what he had to say. And that's the kind of allyship you need representing us because he was an ally for women in that particular moment in time. And it wasn't popular, was not popular. And so that's what you're talking about. To start there, when you say integrity, that's what you're made of. Right. What's on the inside? Because we've talked about it, but what's on the inside, it comes out (laughs) regardless, whether it's good or bad, right? So what's coming out of these people or what I want to see coming out of these people is defense of people that aren't in the room and giving them a seat at the table to be able to have discussions. But we don't need to lead the discussions because we know what it's like to be Black. They don't understand what it's like to be Black. We can't be the one that's making that lead. We have to have you reaching out. And don't expect us to have all of the answers for you. Like any other thing that people want to research, doesn't matter what it is, whether you want to research information on the stock, whether you want to research information on some text that you're using, whether you want to do research on an individual, you go find ways to find them. You don't get to talk to everybody else about invest. You know, you don't get to talk to every person that made an investment and say, okay, well, give me your ins and outs about this. Sometimes you got to go do some research on yourself. What kind of research are you doing on your own before you come to us and say, hey, how can I help? Your boy's on one. Go ahead, Tyrone. <laughs> go ahead. Go, go ahead. <laughs> no, I'm like, I'm bubbling with it all. It's like, y'all getting it out, though. I mean, you just see the expression of my face. I agree. I'll just end with this. I said it on a live last night is you have now, again, we are getting token Negro syndrome where everyone wants the token Black person to speak about our experiences. Let's hear y'all experiences at conferences. Tell us your story. Tell us how you feel when you see a black boy being hemmed up on the side of the street. Do you feel anything? Put your family in the car, go drive through that side of the neighborhood. Do you get out or do you drive through? And if you do get out, 
Could you spend five minutes there? How about five days? About five months? How about five years, right? Like, let's start hearing those stories. Like, let's start getting that side of it. This fires me up. But like Samuel said, I want to see a diversity and inclusion panel with all white men. Let's do that. And then have the four of us talk about PE ratios and financial planning and estate planning. The four of us. My mentor always said, he's like, yo, don't get put in this box, especially with the crypto thing. He's like, you're still a financial advisor, right? You can speak to so many different things, but they're going to start to pluck you and put you in. You're just that guy. But no, let's hear y'all do it. We're not giving you homework to do. No. So I feel very strongly about that. And I'm glad you said it. And all y'all said it in some capacity. It's like, an advocate. And again, we all come from a people that are loyal as hell. We are loyal. We are committed. And we all come from communities, whether it's just inner city communities or Caribbean communities, where if I'm with you, I'm with you. I ain't only going to sit here and party with you. But when it's down, we going to go. Right. We come together. We leave together. I ain't leaving without you. Right. And if you with me, you with me. If anything go down, I'm not turning my back on you. That type of loyalty, that type of cut cloth is not synonymous with this industry. So now those of us and this is where they want to talk about diverse. For those of us that come from those backgrounds, that's just our modus operandi. We always work that way. They don't. And this industry does not So when we expect loyalty, we never get it. And we ain't getting it now. If we tell the truth, we're not. So your loyalty is not sending me a text message so you can tell everybody I reached out to them. Stand up on what it is right now because when I was 40 under 40, when I got some type of award, when I was at your conference, when you connected me with the person with that conference, you was real quick to retweet me. Retweet me now when I'm talking about some of the things about the plight of my people. Stand up on what it is now when I need you to go for me and my people right now. That's an ally. That's an advocate. That's somebody that I know We've broken bread. You look me in my eye and we broke bread. That's real. Now stand up on what it is that you said that you were going to do. And we sat there and we had that meal. That's real talk. You know what I'm saying? So, and that's why I said, let's do coffee. No, let's break bread. Let's get back to that. That sacred part of breaking bread with somebody, that bond. Because if you break that, then we already know what it is. You know what I'm saying? We just need to get back to all of that, man. Because without that, ain't no progress in all this, man. And I'll be honest, man, to take it even a step further, you know, I've been seeing people trying to basically call out companies saying, you know, I haven't heard you say this or I haven't heard you say that. And I mean, that's great. That's cool. But that means very little to me because I've seen companies put out statements, especially in the tech space. And I've seen so much lashback towards that because it's like you're putting out this statement, but yet your executive board are all white middle-aged men. You have 2% black employees at your company. That statement means nothing. It's full of shit. So that to me, even if you throw a tweet up and you donate money, I mean, you're a billion dollar company. If you donate a couple hundred thousand, I mean, great. Thank you. But let's do something more purposeful. Let's get some black people on your executive board. Let's hire more black employees. The chief diversity offers something. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just tired of empty words, empty promises. Like, I want to see action. That's it. Just action. You said diversity. You mean hiring a whole bunch of white women and calling it diversity? Let's talk about it. I'm tired of hearing diversity and we get lumped in. I heard Tyrone said it's diversity and then we get diversity and then we get a whole bunch of white women. Now, I'm not out after white women at all. You know, not at all. But let's talk about the real deal. So when that shit happens and then we're lumped in with every other minority group, but every other minority group ain't getting killed in the street. We're getting killed in the street. 
We're the ones getting shot. To understand this, like we're getting shot by police and we're getting shot by citizens that don't see the value in the black man's life. Don't tell me that diversity is hiring people that aren't black. Like I'm tired of hearing that shit. I'm really tired of it. Companies will have like 10 financial advisors I and mean, maybe eight white men, two white women and say they're diverse. How? That's why I don't like the word diversity, especially in financial services, because you can hide behind so many layers of diversity, right? You can have a bunch of different men from different areas of the world, men and women from different areas of the world, right? You can have Asian people, Indian people, white people, men and women on an executive board and not have not one black person, but tout diversity. When I think, at least to me, was diversity, the root of it, at least for me, was to get more people of color, more black people into these spaces that we're shunned out from. And so now that you try to throw other things in the pot and call that diversity, that bothers me so much. And that's part of the reason why I'm not talking about diversity. Unless you say this is an event where black men are talking about their experience in the workplace, I can do that. But I'm not hiding behind the diversity word. If you're going to have me talk about diversity, the word black men needs to be in that title. Very clear. It needs to stand out. And that's how I'm moving with that. So we've talked a little bit about the industry stuff and how what the plight is for us in the industry. But what about outside of the industry? What about just regular experiences? I wanted us to talk about that and I wanted us to share some of our experiences. This is to connect the dots because I have a lot of people that have reached out to me. You know, I didn't see how racist it was. I said, well, where you been looking? What do you mean? This ain't new. A little bubble. I'm always reminded of Remember the Titans. It's willful ignorance, man. That's how I see You remember the Titans and they walk into this restaurant and they're like, we can't go in there. And he's like, man, cool. It's cool. Come on, let's go in there. He's like, bro, we can't go in there. I just told you we can't go in there. As soon as they walk in the restaurant, then they get thrown out. He's like, I didn't know it was like that. That kind of summarizes most non-black people's experience. And I'll say white people's experience about how they feel about race. Like it doesn't exist until they see it. And they're like, oh my God, you've been dealing with that to this day. To this day? To this day. To this day? That to me is being willfully ignorant. I think that there's no way you can have an opinion like that. Even before this started, this George Floyd murder, I find it very difficult to believe you can really hold that opinion. But they're out there, though. I mean, so they're out there and they're saying this and they're asking the question. And I'm like, what rock have you crawled under? But you have to remember, just like we're asking them to look into the plight of a black man, let's look at the privilege of the white man, where it doesn't even matter. You know what I mean? It doesn't matter. Like he gets pulled over by a cop. And he can get indignant. Oh, they want to talk about that. You know, we had peaceful protests here with the, whatever group it was where they had, you know, assault rifles sitting out. Not one person was shot. Nothing. Let it be a group of black men show up to any building with guns out. There's going to be all out war in the streets. So speaking of that, let me ask you guys a question, right? I saw this on Twitter and I had DM'd the person to try to provide some sort of explanation and so forth, right? So his question was, and this is a genuine question. His question was, if you're a motivated black person in America, how are you held back in ways that a white person in the same exact position wouldn't be? Same exactly. How would you guys answer that? So let's say you have a poor black kid, a poor white kid, both working their ass off to make it. How are they any different? How is the black kid held back in more ways than the white kid? If I'll they're tell you both this. poor, starting from the same level. The net worth of a black family with college graduates is the same as the net worth of a white family with high school diplomas. It's less, less than white family with high school diplomas. Oh, I just posted this. 99% of counties, black boys born in the same condition as a white boy 
income, everything the same, ends up in a much worse position financially, right? There's a lot more nuance to it that makes it a much bigger point, but 99% of counties. The other thing I would encourage that individual to do is read the book, White Trash. Don't get caught up in the title, but it talks about the poor whites in America. That even though, right, they were lazy, they were poor, they didn't want to do anything. Mm -hmm. And they were still given land. They were still given all that stuff. And the slave masters knew they wouldn't work it. And you know what they said? Give them the land. We're going to have these niggas work it. Even the poor are lazy, but they look like us. When I read this chapter in this book, I was sick to my stomach. They were given land. As they expanded out west, they were giving them land. And the slave owners were sick. They're lazy. What is going on? And they said, you know what? They won't work it. We're bringing in some workers. Mind you, some of those workers were actually slaves that were supposed to be free. So they gave their own land, poor, lazy, who wouldn't work it, bring us in to work their land. You know what they didn't did? Turn around and sold us as they expanded out west. Read the book. So you telling me now that's not the same thing of a kid and a poor black kid and a poor white kid or hell, a rich white kid and a rich black kid. And as they matriculate through life, the circumstances that are different, right? Because maybe like Chris Rock said, In my neighborhood, it's me, Jay-Z, Mary J. Blige. We are the best in the world at what we do in Alpine, New Jersey. Our next door neighbor's a doctor. He ain't the best doctor. He's just a doctor. We are the best in the world at what we do. You know what I'm saying? So that black kid has to be it. Because more than likely, if he's in that same community as that white kid, and I'm talking of affluence, parents are, ooh, lit, probably has some type of, liquidity event, whatever it was. Father killed himself playing football for 10 years, whatever. Meanwhile, that family has a legacy of wealth in Harvard and Yale and Princeton. You got to dig in the weeds here. So I understand where people, they want to lean on meritocracy. Oh man, everyone gets a pair of boots and a pair of straps. Okay. (laughs) Okay. This has been around forever, man. So in that situation that you mentioned, Samuel, I feel like white men have access without credibility. And I feel like us, we have to build up so much credibility and prove ourselves and prove ourselves and prove ourselves to get a door open. Whereas that motivated white man just has to be motivated. Like, okay, we'll give you a shot. That's it. Whereas we got to get the CFP, the EA. We got to bring in a certain amount of clients. Then we got to grind on the ground. Then we got to write books. Then we got to start a podcast. Then we got to speak at every company and conference before it's like, okay, you might be good. Right. So I think it's like a certain level of access without necessarily having that credibility behind it. That's a great point. Access without credibility, because like you said, we break our neck for credibility and then it's dashed in the instant of anything going wrong. And, you know, just a little remark like, oh, I thought you were different. I thought you were different. I didn't know you were like everybody else. You're so well spoken. Well, you're just such an elegant speaker. Yeah. What did you expect? Yeah, I mean, you're just different. You look so nice. Like, you dress so nice. Like, you just, you know, look at you. You're sharp. Yeah. I'm like, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, don't even get me started, man. Well, that's my thing. It's like, if I had a question to y'all, and I think about this every time I go into New York City and I'm traveling around Manhattan dressed to the nine, mm-hmm. and I know that people are looking at me like, is he on his way to court? Or, and they get a side eye, especially when you're on the east side over there. Ooh, man. Some of these people drill you. And I'm sure y'all get the same thing when you wear suits too. 
Mm-hmm. Or sweats. Don't let me wear a sweatsuit. Oh, it's on and pop. That's when I get the looks. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> true, true. Put a sweatsuit on, a hat, some joggers or something like that, some nice, some fresh kicks, and then the looks start. And speaking of this, I don't want to lose this moment either. And I said this when I reposted the Sartes thing. If you look at the lineage of black men all the way to the beginning of this country been lynched, they look a lot like y'all, right? Less like myself. We bicker amongst this around our people, which is why I advocate so hard for y'all, because I get it. I've been told to my face by white people, I'm non-threatening. I get told by my own people, you're light-skinned, you're non-threatening. I need y'all to win, right? We need a dark black man to win. Like, that's so important. And it makes people uncomfortable, but it's just the facts. Because that's their image of what we are. And it makes me sick that whenever they see these images of a big, strong black man, it's a knee on his neck. Or it's somebody they can control. They at the combine. Oh, that one, that one right there, him. Or, you know, it's LeBron James, shut up and dribble, right? And Steph Curry gets that. You know, it's a different, it's a different tone with Steph Curry, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. The visuals here. And that's privilege. I'll admit that. We have a privilege. But it's like, these are hard truths that I'm going to walk and talk about later is that hard truths we need to have. Because when I posted that picture of Sidney Poitier kissing that white woman yesterday, I know the timeline paused a little bit. Because that image for people still in 2020 is, I said, look at the difference in our hue when you're watching this podcast. Listen to the similarity of experience. You know what I'm saying? Listen and watch. And the visuals. Imagine if we could have a, and take me out of it. There's marketing and all this stuff with y'all three that goes into Chicago, that goes into Detroit, that goes into North New Jersey. And these kids see y'all. And it's constant. CNBC, Bloomberg, Investment News, Finance. It's just, right? You see what I'm saying? It starts to become this, oh, starts to change. And I'll never forget this. When I left Merrill Lynch, there was this study that I came across, and I'm still trying to find it, where they did a study of high net worth Black people that were working with financial advisors, and they asked them, you had a choice of who to manage your money. Who would you, a white advisor, a Hispanic advisor, an Asian advisor, or a Black one? The majority of Black folk chose a white advisor. If that's not brainwashing, right? If that's not imagery, if that's not the power of image, what is? So we need to control the narrative. Again, like the start they were saying, like we have to be where the powerful images are, not stuff that don't get circulated or the last panel at a conference. Why are we keynote? Why are we keynote? We should open and we should keynote and put all y'all in the middle. These are the things that have to change, man. Again, that's the only thing I wanted to bring up is just, again, how we have to position ourselves of what we wear and where we go and things like that. But I always find it interesting still to this day when I put on a suit, the looks that I get are just, I'm like, what are y'all staring at? Like, it's crazy to me. I have a question. Because of these recent events, I want to know if any of you have had experiences with the law. Because I feel like part of me wants to speak out on this through my content, right? And another part of me is like, should I? Is it the time to do that? But I feel like for some of the people in the Fenswood arena that we play in every day, we might be their only connection to Black America. So it's important to say something so they can be like, wow, this happened to Desarte. This guy is doing this. Or this happened to Emlyn. You know what I mean? Sam, Tyrone, y'all had these struggles too. That might make it more personal for them, right? To be like, wow, I've met Sam. He's a good, you know. Good dude, why would this happen to somebody like him? So I wanted to ask you if you had any experience with the law to share. 
Yeah, I mean, not anything super recent, but I remember being in high school one year and not going to get into the details of the story, but it was, you know, coming home from football practice, driving home, dropping a friend off. And he didn't necessarily live like in the best neighborhood. And, you know, I'm dropping him off. We're in front of the deli, which is across the street from his house. And we're just talking a little bit before he gets out the car. Two cops runs up to the car, guns drawn. Put your hands up. You no, know, what are you doing? This down the third. And you know what my defense was? I'm like, I go to Catholic school. I'm a good kid. Like, look, I have my uniform on still. Like, I'm a good kid. And you know what the cop said? He was like, oh, you go to Catholic school? So you know your fucking ABCs? Like, I will never forget that experience ever. I'm an honor roll student. I'm a student athlete. I'm doing everything right that I need to do. Not involved in any trouble. And you pull up with your guns out. It's not even like we're just sitting in the car in front of the store. And they roll up with their guns out, pulls us out the car. This is in front of his house. I will never forget that, man, ever. I mean, I could have lost my life that day. And all that was flashing in front of me was, what would my mom think? You know, I'm my mom's only child. You know, she's had three miscarriages before me. I know if something were to happen to me, I'm fearful of what she would do to herself. That's always a thought of mine. And I will never forget that experience, man. I've never viewed law enforcement the same since then. Yeah. And see, that's something that people need to hear, right? I feel like there was an incident that I was actually coming from Cal Berkeley. I had just bought my first car. I paid for it all in cash. I saved my little coins and I paid for the car. It was nice. So I'm like, let me go show my mom my new car, right? So in our neighborhood, which is now gentrified, it was a horrible, like it was a bad neighborhood for the lack of better terms. I go to the house, visit my mom. And as I'm leaving, I have on my Berkeley sweatshirt, everything. I turn on the main street, turn on the side street and I get pulled over, right? The cop comes to the car, had tinted windows. So the cop comes to the car, gun, like hand fidgeting on his gun, license or registration. Now, this is just the mentality of the black man, like always trying to protect yourself. So here I am. I'm driving a pretty nice car. I take out my license. And on top of the license, I put my student ID, Cal Berkeley, just to disarm myself, right? Like I got this sweatshirt on, I have my ID, and I have my student ID on top of that just to let you know that I'm not out here doing anything that may occur in the neighborhood. He takes them both, looks at them, and then he proceeds to ask me if I have any papers. And I'm like, what are papers? You know what I mean? He's like, don't play with me. Do you have your probation papers? And I'm like, what else can I do? You know what I mean? As a black man, like, I'm giving you my license, my student ID. I'm driving a cool car. I have my Berkeley, you know, sweater on, like class of 2013. I'm about to graduate. And in all of that, with all of that, quote unquote, credibility, You still ask me if I was on probation. So I just feel like, can we win? You know what I mean? Man, so I got pulled over. I wasn't in a nice car. I was in my old car. So I hit the block. And as soon as I hit the block, I see the police jump behind me. You know the feeling. You know what I'm saying? You sitting there like, oh, man, here we go. He hit the lights, right? (laughs) So yeah, I hit the straight. I hit the sit up street. Sit up straight. Hands at 10 and 2. You know, doing all the stuff you're supposed to do. So I get pulled over. He walks up. I know he pulled me over because mm-hmm. of DWB. You know that. I didn't even have tinted windows. He seen me the whole time. Had my hat on sideways. He pulls me over and he comes up to me. First words out of his mouth for, you know, you on parole or probation? <laughs> so I look at him and I'm like, man, I said, why you pull me over? I said, I want to know why you pull me over. He's like, are you on parole or probation? I said, bro, I make more money than you. I was pissed. I went straight in. I didn't even have no, like, I'm not, you know, I was like, matter of fact, until you get me like, what did you pull me over for? He was like, well, you know, you got over in the left lane and you didn't signal. Now we can talk about the reasons why they pull us over because the actual transportation manual 
with the laws and stuff leaves a lot of gray area for them <laughs> to be able to pull people over for no reason at all. When you're in your vehicle, you're less safe than you are when you're walking, just so you know that because of the way the law is written. So anyhow, so he asked me all these questions. And at the time, I happened to be working with someone that her son was actually a chief of that Fresno Police Department. Not the chief of the department, but he was a sergeant in the department. And so I brought his name up and told him, you know, he asked me where I was. And I was like, I'm going home. I was like, you still haven't told me why you pulled me over. As a matter of fact, what's your name? He gives me his name. And I said, you know, I'm going to report this to officer so-and-so. And he's like, you know what? You have a nice night. Let me go. Only let me go because there was consequences. This is why it is so important for consequences to be so stiff for these officers that get out of pocket. They have to be reprimanded. They have to be punished. It has to be just as severe as they do us when we go to court, just like they do us. That has to happen on that side, man. And so that's one of the experiences. I have tons of experiences about racism from people saying that you're so articulate, you're so well-spoken to, I didn't think that you were going to be able to pass this class to you were so different than what I expected. And I'm like, what do you expect from an educated black man? Like, what do you expect? So the experiences go on and on for me. And I think it definitely has to do with being dark. And I'm a big dude. I'm 6'4", 235 pounds. They see me, if they come up to me, guns out already. Like it's already hand on the gun. They're already ready to, you know. That's my point. That's my point. That's exactly it. Quick story. And Tyrone is aware of this. I want to just bring this up because Tyrone was talking about conferences a second ago and being speakers and stuff. You know, we went to a conference about a year ago, maybe a little less than that. Tyrone Desarte and I were black people, not black men, but four black people at the entire conference. The three of us just knew each other. Desarte was a speaker at the event. He did his thing. He rocked it. And then I can't begin to tell you the amount of people that came up to me and said, oh my God, man, that was a great job up there. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> not realizing that they're thinking that I'm Desarte. Only four of us there. How could you? think I'm disarted. I look nothing. We're just black with beards. You look nothing alike. And that was my first real conference that I went to in, in the industry. And from that moment on, it's almost like I'm not really sure how to respond in the moment when things like that happen, right? When people say, oh, you're such an eloquent speaker or you're dressed so nice. It's like, do we call it out right there as is in a professional or nice manner? Or do we just laugh? I mean, me personally, I tend to just kind of laugh things off because I don't want to be looked at as a certain type of way. And even when I go to these conferences, like Tyrone was mentioning, you know, we're dark skinned men. We're looked at more of a threat. I make sure when I'm at these conferences, I'm smiling all the time, all the time. I mean, I don't want to toot my own horn. I know I kind of have a nice smile, but at the same time, you know, I do it purposefully so I don't look threatening. And back to the question, how do you kind of address these sort of subconscious comments in a respectful way, you know, or do you? I think that actually Sonia Dreisler gave some good instructions at our last conference that we were at TD Ameritrade. And, you know, she wrote that whole series about when she said the first question you should ask is an open ended question that says, what do you mean by this? Or like, what do you mean? Like have them expound on whatever they're trying to get across. And I tried it and people were like, uh, like they'll get stuck. You know what I mean? Like, what do you mean that I'm so eloquent? What did you expect is the question. Right. And then if somebody is saying a joke that's inappropriate, simply say, we don't do that here. So it's like not as aggressive, but it's like, you got to know that we don't do that. I know Emlyn probably disagrees with that approach. He's like, take it to him. No, you already know. <laughs> you already know, bro. You already know. When you get out of pocket, I'm going to put you in place immediately. Like, so what you trying to say, bro? Like, what's good? 
Like I'm gonna be everything that they that like. And the bad part about it is I'm gonna be everything yeah. that they thought I was. You gonna see it? You you say some shit like that to me, and I'm gonna tell you like, yeah, I'm, I'm you know sad said it. We live by the wish fact. You know, what I'm saying I wish someone would get out of box. Don't make me roll these suits, please. Yeah. But at the same time, man, like I think that we do have a large contingent of people that are going to bat for us, that do want to make a difference, that do want to work to change things. I think about guys like Justin Costelli. I think about him. I know he's reached out to all of us, talked to us, try to do stuff. He's and I'm like, bro, yeah, you, he's you do a lot. Class. He's protected class. Already. Like you're already in there. So, you know, you're with us. And there's other people. I'm not, I could say Alex Chalecki. And I don't want to start naming a whole bunch of people because I'm going to forget someone. But I'm just, I know that those people help us. And I know that without a shadow of a doubt, you know, if we're not in the room. They're still going to take up arms and defend us. That's all we're asking. This is what we're, our ask is of people that want to be an ally is treat us like we're in the room all the time, all the time. Because if you're truly an ally, if you're in the room, we're in the room and things shouldn't be said out of pocket and you should take the same thing. So like if someone says that, it's a great question for you to ask as an ally. So you're in your circle with your friends and they're like, oh, what the Sarte was so articulate. Oh my gosh, how powerful is it going to be for someone like a Justin to say, so what do you mean by that? Can I expound on that? What do you mean that he's such a great speaker? Because I mean, the guy graduated from Berkeley yeah, as a student athlete, written as three a books. Athlete at that. What did you expect for him to do when he got up here? Like, what, what was you expecting? Oh, well, you know, you, you know, I just, no, I don't. I don't know. That's why I'm asking the question. And I think the more you do that, <laughs> the more that it's going to be understood that this is not acceptable. And you should have an expectation of any professional that's getting up there, regardless of their color, to be able to speak articulately, profoundly, and have nuggets of free jewelry coming out all the time. Like, you should have, like, that should be the expectation. If he doesn't do it... Get him out! That's it. Then don't have to come back. That should be the expectation. How do you guys feel about the people who say, we want to say something, but we just don't know what to say, or we don't know how to act, or we don't know what to do, but we're with you? Like, what are your thoughts on that? They don't really want to say anything. Okay. They don't really want to say anything. It's that simple. I shouldn't have to write a script for you to say that this is wrong. And that's that. This is wrong. Three words. <laughs> that's all you have to say. We're not asking you to write a memo to, you know, the world. A dissertation on what their thoughts are on the plight of the black man. We want that, you know, 17 page yeah, paper that we need from you to explain why you. This is wrong. We're humans here. You know what I mean? You're killing them in the street. Are you OK with watching people die? Like, this is wrong. That's all you got to say. One of the most powerful things I've been able to do and ask people like I had. One of my friends, she asked me a question about this white girl. She asked me a question and she was like, I don't understand. I don't know what I can do. I said, well, let's, let's take this. I said, you have your kids, right? She's like, yeah, you know, I love my kids. Blah, blah, blah. No, no doubt about it. I said, I said, imagine one of your kids was black. Imagine he's a young black man and he's leaving from school and someone's going to pull him over. And when he gets pulled over, he's not going to be treated the same way as he would be treated if he was white. He's not going to be handled the same way. People are having lower expectations for him. I said, walk through that and then walk through. Let's not have the ultimate scenario, but let's paint a scenario where now your son's coming home and he's talking to you about his interaction with the police and how they mistreated him. What are you going to do? She's like, oh, my God, I couldn't even imagine. I said, welcome to our life. That's every day of our life that we have to deal with that. 
not even welcome to our life because she can't imagine. We go through exactly we experience it. You cannot imagine that. You know, empathy is about being able to put yourself in the other person's shoes, right? So if you really want to be empathetic, like I seen someone post a video the other day and all of us know who it was. I seen it on Instagram and she said, how does a black mother feel? And so with them burying their children and then I had to watch it with my wife, like now we have a little black boy here and no one's going to see him and say, oh, well, he's half Mexican. <laughs> no one's going to say that. They're going to see him and see him as a black man, see him as a threat and treat him the way that they've treated us forever. And that's something that a reality that even my wife had to come. She asked her parents, which was impactful because it's something that I'm sure her parents didn't really think about. My mother-in-law, father-in-law from Mexico. And she said, you know, imagine if that was little Emlyn that they did that to. And her mom was just like blown away because I think it really puts it in perspective for people when you say, okay, what if that was your son? What if that was your daughter? What if that was your uncle? What if that was your dad, your brother, your sister? And once you do that, I think it really just, you know, and they were killed for no reason. Then they didn't even put the individuals in jail. And I think having those thought processes going on is going to be the beginning of them starting to realize, man, it's tough. Like, so you guys have to fight against all of that and then come into the industry and fight. So we're fighting before we get to the industry. We're fighting already. Then we get into the industry. We got to deal with the bullshit that we got to deal with in the industry. Right. And then they only want us to talk about one or two things. When for us to be successful, you had to know how to have practice management. You had to know how to grow your business. You had to know how to equip yourself and learn how to have conversations with people that didn't believe that you could do, especially if you're working with people We're that fighting aren't all our lives, people man. of color. So if we had to do all of that, at least show some empathy, sensitivity to do your own due diligence, to look into some of the things that Black men have had to endure. I don't want to ruin this conversation with diversity. I don't want to ruin this conversation with inclusion. I want to make sure that we mm -hmm. are looking through things through the eyes of black men in this country. I'm not giving this up to anybody else. I'm not sharing this platform with someone that wants to dilute this conversation. This is what's going on. And the reason why we're here right now is because they are killing black men in the streets. What are you going to do? I feel like I channel my inner Tyrone right there. <laughs> <laughs> well done that's it right there you know what fellas man I thank you for the time today if anybody has any parting gifts for our listeners and ways that they can do things on this We Can Talk thanks for joining me on the We Can Talk series but is there anything else that you guys want to add to that because I think that you know I think we dropped the mic on that one <laughs> that was it man you said it nail in the coffin well gentlemen brothers I appreciate you beyond words. We are going to continue to fight the good fight. We are going to continue to change the complexion of wealth. We are going to continue to move our people forward. With that being said, this is the Minority Money Podcast. I am your host, Emlyn Miles Mattingly, joined with my brothers, Desarte Yarnway, Samuel Dean, and Tyrone Ross Jr. Until next time, we are changing the complexion of wealth. Another great showdown, but it doesn't have to stop there. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on whatever podcast app you're listening on now and give it a good rating, would you? If you feel really connected to the podcast, which I hope you do, find our Facebook community, Minority Money VIP, to support and be supported by others just like you. And again, we're glad to have you.
While this podcast is meant to inspire and motivate you to live your best life, it can't be your complete one-stop shop. I know, I know, that really sucks. But I don't know anything about your specific situation. So please reach out to an attorney or CPA, or you can reach out to me, a financial planner, to help you with your specific situation. To get a hold of us, please reach us at fan at Minority Money Podcast. That's F-A-N at Minority Money Podcast so we can get to know you there. Thanks for being here. And until next time, 